Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I have with me today the founder, the co-founder, along with Evan Selva, who's a friend of the friend of the podcast here, Adam Levitan. Established the run is the site, DFS Guru. A lot of season-long content this year, too, which I'm really enjoying here. And I know I've said for the podcast, I want to have a lot of people on here, some of the brightest and best minds in the industry. Now, I, I'm going to cop to it here. I have not been a big DFS player. I have been... I've been in my own, you know, personal hell that a lot of people have been in, which is having young children these last these last few years. So I haven't got into it as much. Now I'm going to get into it more this year, but I'd say that I've been listening to you, Adam, for a while, just because I love hearing about the process that you have um, behind playing the game, despite the fact that I haven't been playing as much. I'm not just out here chasing dollar signs. I like to chase uh, the, some of the process that you've had there. So I, I thank you for joining me today. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. So I, I want to get to a, a few different things here. One, uh, talk about the business a little bit that you have there. Two, go over some DFS ideas generally, and then you know have some ideas about week one. Now, this is a unique season, obviously, everything that's going on with coronavirus this year and with the no training camp and with no preseason, which I know has been a, has been a disappointment. So uh, first, business-wise, now you and Evan established – uh, established the run uh, a couple of years ago. I guess about a, it was about a year ago, right? Yeah, yeah, July of, before last season. So let, let me talk about that because I know there have been independent sites before, but it seems like this is kind of happening more and more. I mean, how much do you think about the overall lay of the market before atta- before going after this, or is this really just a bet on your your brand and your um, you know the attachment that that you essentially your listeners and the people and, and your uh, your followers have to you and to Evan? Yeah, so I think a lot of people think it's just like, hey, we'll just start doing this. We'll start a site, and then we'll just start. Uh, printing money and, and it'll be easy. And so I think the difference for us was we spent literally 10 years like building a brand, building a following, building the trust of people. And so to me, like that was all built up to starting the own business, our own business. It wasn't like it just started last July, like ability to uh, have people want, be willing to pay for what you think or pay for your information um, is not something that we would take lightly. And so, yeah, it, it's different. You know, it, it's not, I don't view it as we just started last July. I view it as we started it 10 years ago and we've kind of been building to this point since then. I think that makes a big, big, big difference, um, when it comes time to actually, uh, go for it. Now, do you think there's been any, um, I don't know, I want, I want to say copycatism, but do you think people have seen the success that you guys have had? And it seems to me like there's a little bit more of that coming through this year that other people are jumping off into some pretty, uh, some, some pretty big ventures with a lot of different names that are also going to that independent route. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, shout out to us. I think a lot of people are like, oh, Evan and Adam can, <laughs> Evan and Adam can do it. Why, why, can't, why can't we do it? And, and maybe they can. I, I, hope that, I hope that they do. I hope that um, there's enough uh, room for everybody in the space, and, may, and maybe there is, so... So yeah, I, you know, uh, I'm happy for people though, man. Like, you know, I don't like, why would I want to root for like some rich guy at some big company to keep making money off people who are busting their ass, you know, trying to do it in fantasy every day? Like I, I'd, I'd much rather people, you know, do it for themselves. Well, how about this kind of entrepreneurship generally sort of thing? I mean, I know that you and I mean, a, a name that comes to mind is thinking of, um, you know, what Pete and what Jonathan Bales had done. They seem to be more into 
entrepreneurship writ large than than maybe you are as as more attached to DFS? Or is that just or am I just seeing publicly your attachment? And they really are kind of in the same bucket as you. Yeah, no, I think that's a good read. I, I mean, um, I think the understanding had a bit, I, I have no business background whatsoever, like none. You know, I was a journalism major in college and I've been a writer and I've worked for newspapers and all that. You know, I, I was never uh, on the business side. Um, I probably thought that it would be simpler than it is, but that's why I have Taylor and I have Andrew who have a lot of business experience in business uh, previous to this that um, are really doing a great job behind the scenes with the business stuff. So, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a whole new world. And um, for me, I, I think the fantasy labs thing was, yeah, Peter, Peter and Bales are for sure way more into, into business and executing from, from that standpoint more than, you know, busting balls on podcasts and stuff like that. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's probably the right read. Well, how much, okay, let's hypothetical here. If you could be making, I don't know, let's say you could be making like multiples, like 5x what you're doing, but it wasn't doing DFS, would, would that be something that you would be interested in? Or is it DFS itself is like the draw, basically? Um, well, I guess it would depend what I was doing for 5x, but no, I mean, <laughs> like, I, I, it's so corny to say, like, you should do what you love. Like, it, honestly, even if I wasn't, um, working in dfs space i would be doing all this i mean i'd be doing all the research i'd be trying to figure out edges where where's next and how to win and, and like that like you know i still play a decent amount of poker like i and i i don't have anything to do with the poker business space but i'm still doing the same stuff behind the scenes just like what i really like to do so yeah it would have to be pretty cool and a ton more money for me not to not to want to do dfs it's just uh, dfs is just the best Okay, so let, let's let's talk about kind of more DFS generally because it's interesting that you say, and I think I buy the concept that DFS is a little bit different than some other industries when we're talking about, uh, you know, touting essentially. Um, like you're saying, you're doing the research, you're able to put what you're finding out there, but it's not the same as recommending, you know, I'm going to take the Lions plus three uh, because of this reason or that reason. So, I mean, how, how do you think about issues within touting? Because I guess I, I differentiate between DFS because you're not really, you're not, you're not being judged, I don't think, necessarily on your record because there isn't a hardline record like that. And there are so many different permutations of what you can do that you can give out advice without essentially giving out a record is what people are buying. Yeah. Um, to me, it's information. You know, like, why would anybody – like, first of all, the NFL betting market is so liquid and so efficient. Like, anybody – you know, I'm actually doing something right now with – I don't want to name names, but there's, like, a lot of people on Twitter who, like, talk about how they're up 200 units and they're up – 60 units and they have some, you know, 80%, you know, 60%, 70% win rate. And what I'm doing is just finding their picks and taking the opposite. And that's like the best I've ever done in sports betting. So like, uh, you know, these people, like, it's just anybody who knows anything about betting on sports knows that like, if you're winning 3% ROI, if you're winning 4% ROI, you're like legit one of the best in the world. And so all these people like claiming uh, that they're being, being in these markets for huge numbers are just like so obvious liars to me. Uh, in DFS, it's different. It's peer to peer, right? It's not this wildly efficient market. I mean, I, I play games against people who have the most egregious lineups you've ever seen. It's not, it it's, has nothing to do with, uh, the market is just not that efficient. On top of that, um, I think it's information, you know, like I'm not, I, I hate sitting there and telling people what to play. I will tell you that, uh, with X guy out, I think that Y guy is very likely to, 
command, you know, 24% of the targets this week or something like that. You know, I'm not going to tell you that you should 100% play this guy, but this is the kind of information that people it takes a lot of work and a lot of time to to uncover the information and then you can do with it what you want. So I, I really think that's been our motto. You know, we, we've been very adamant about not touting and only talking about things that we actually know about. Well, what do you think separates you then from the average? I mean, there are lots of people out there with a love of football. I mean, we see them on Twitter. They're grinding tape. They're, you know, thinking of every possible thing. They're up on the news. They're, they're on message boards. Like, what, what differentiates the knowledge that you can bring versus someone who just live, eats, and breathes this stuff anyway? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think a lot of people are talking about the things that don't matter, right? I know like, <laughs> right. all you did, guys, like talk about noise. Like most of what goes on in the NFL is just like straight noise. And so if you can project opportunity and understand opportunity in the NFL, like, you know, all this fancy stuff is just so ridiculous. It's not what actually wins. And so I think we like we actually play big and we actually win and like we know what actually wins in DFS. So I think that separates uh pretty well. And then, yeah, you know, I, I think there's uh, a delivery that people enjoy that is part entertaining and extremely knowledgeable and hardcore, but also an ability to like get it through to people in a way that the common man uh, kind of understands. And so, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of that, but you're absolutely right. Like, you know, if I started today, I mean, would anybody know who I was? I would be in a sea of millions of people, you know, there's a huge, and not to say that I was first. But there's a huge, huge advantage to being early at, at a minimum in, in really anything in life. You know, being early and like slightly wrong is better than being late and perfect, you know. And so uh, I, I had to deal with DraftKings in 2015 and that wasn't the earliest. You know, there were people that were talking about DFS a ton in uh, 2012 and 2013, but uh, 2015 was was early enough, I think. And is part of that, I mean, I also want to think about not only the, the industry has grown a lot as far as the analysis industry, but then the game itself, everyone was talking about how much sharper it is. What do you think about football specifically, how much sharper it is? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, look, man, like any game where you're playing for money and playing for serious money, it's going to get efficient uh quickly. And, and so, yeah, you know, there were times in DFS where like, you know, talking to Peter about the days when in like 2013, 2014, he didn't even know, like he was like winning huge. He didn't even know what Roto World was. And like, he like found Roto World and he was like, oh my God, there's player news. I can find out who's hurt and who's not relatively easily. So, so yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. Like uh, uh, the way that it is now, um, a lot of high stakes stuff is going to be, if you're winning at 5% or if you're winning at 10%, like you're one of the best players, you know? And so people have to understand that there's certainly small edges to be had there. I think there's bigger edges in in the large field GPP stuff. And, you know, I've talked to Drew a lot about this. We did a whole podcast about it, like having the stomach to uh, get through all the variance in that large field. Low dollar stuff uh, takes a lot. But um, if you are willing to put the grind in, that's for sure. There's still edges there where you can win, you know, 20, 30 percent, which is which is, you know, in any other venture, like you're not winning 20 or 30 percent. Now, but the, you're not really a, a GPP guy, though, right? So you're a cash guy. So tell me about that that decision. Is it just a uh, mentality and how you want to approach it? Or is, do you think that your particular style of analysis lends it to one thing versus another? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I'm that good at it, number one. Um, <laughs> That's I've tried. To, I've tried to get better. Um, I, I think it's also it takes a certain kind of person to stomach like playing well for a month or five months or a year and not seeing any results because it's so top heavy and there's so much variance in these tournaments. So 
Um, yeah, it's not my favorite way to play. You know, it's kind of the same with poker. I, you know, I, I thought that, um, you know, there's so much luck that goes involved in, into winning a poker tournament and the outlay of time is just so much that it's just, you know, the real players and, and the people trying to play for the highest stakes are playing cash. So yeah, I don't know, man. It's just me. I, I don't, I, I don't recommend anybody plays like me. I don't think that it's, it's, it's right at all. Well, it's probably, yeah, I mean, you know, so many like, uh, it's like the entertainment factor is probably higher in some of these tournaments because it's like it's like being an NFL fan before the season starts. Like some of your best days are spent during the offseason thinking about what will eventually happen. And then it happens and it's just kind of all a disappointment. But I could see the same thing being for a tournament player. I mean, the thought is you're building this lineup and you're like, oh, man, this is it. <laughs> this, is the, this is the one, right? And then so that's like the best part of the experience for most people yeah. is building the lineup and thinking about what's going to happen versus actually what goes down on Sunday. I mean, that's probably over about uh, an hour into the game and then you're just you're moving on to the next slate. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, you know, it is fun. Like, like if I have a great week playing cash, I might like 2x or like 2.5x my, my buy-ins, right? And like, yeah, that, that's that's great. And, you know, like if you're playing big, like it's it's a lot of money and it's it's awesome. However, you know, like the idea that you could 100x your buy-in in a week is obviously way more fun. Like I'm not, I'm not going to deny that at all. It's way more fun. Okay, so you probably have a better – you're getting more feedback essentially as a cash player – than as a tournament player, I think. I don't know. Would you agree with that, that that this this loop of kind of being able to gauge your own performance is easier within within oh, a cash player? That That's the part that I can't, I cannot take these GBP guys that are like, well, you know, this team, uh, yeah, I'll play this guy. Why not? You know, I'll play this guy. And they're just like, they're just like, yeah, whatever. I'm losing, but I'm still playing well. And your results like don't mean anything, you know, because like you may never realize your equity over even like a five-year span. So so yeah, for sure, like you'll know quickly if you play enough slates, you know, 1 p.m. only, 4 p.m. only main slate every week, you'll you'll know quickly whether you're good or not and the results well, will bear it out. Because that, that's one of the concerns that I've had thinking about getting more into. I mean, number one, I'm lazy. So it takes a lot of work. And the, the, the contest selection, all that stuff, which I, I want to talk to you about because it's so, it's so important, that aspect of it, where that to me is more of a grind than, than doing, the, you know, doing the analysis and player this. But even, even thirdly is that even if I thought I knew what I was doing, if I was to lose, like let's say, let's say I go in and I'm trying to pick up these head to heads. I'm trying to pick up. I'm trying to play cash. You know, if I lose that first week, I'm thinking to myself, man, maybe, maybe this isn't for me. <laughs> like right off, right off. And then if another week comes on, so I'm trying to figure out from you. You've been in it long enough. Is there ever a concern that you're not going to know when the gig is up? Essentially, if yeah. things do become that tight. Yeah, I did an interview with Phil Galfond. Uh, I don't remember when, but I talked about this. Like, how do you know when you're beating the game or, or you're not anymore? And it's really hard. And he says, you know, you should go back and look at your lineup. You should go back and look at the way you played hands versus the way other people played hands. If you can't find any mistakes in the way they played and you find mistakes in the way you played, well, um, yeah, it, it's it's not good. It's, you know, football is harder than poker because the sample size is so, so, so small. But that's what I was saying about playing all the slates. You know, you can play Thursday to Monday. You can play Sunday all through you can play every slate and you get a much bigger sample and so I think that's one way to raise your sample and figure it out but yeah I mean I think anybody who uh gambles on a peer-to-peer basis like it's you're always asking yourself am I still beating the game and like you know when you when you include in your stats like you know let's say you have a 15 percent ROI if that includes games from 2016 is that really relevant anymore you know I don't think it is so yeah it's for sure worth considering I mean are there successful players who can go 
half a season, a full season, and just not make any money, um, and would think, you know, would not disqualify them from thinking that they are a successful player going forward? Depends on what stakes. You know, I, I think that if you're not beating games like, you know, $100 and under, uh, like, you know, $100 double up and, and head-to-heads 100 and under, if you're not beating that for a half season, you probably have a major, major problem. If you're saying that you're a loser playing, you know, the 1K double up in the Thunderdome every week, um, yeah, that could just be straight, straight variance for sure because the edges there are already so small. So I, I know, you know, from a stats perspective, you know, like when your edge is really small, like you could lose for for a long time and it could just be variance, you know? Okay, well, that, that, that kind of bridges into uh, contest selection and, and figuring out where you want to play. So let's say, again, let's just kind of take a newbie perspective on here. Maybe not for someone who's playing the stakes that you are, but where would you, you – you could essentially just allocate every dollar, though, up the, up, up the chain, right, as you're going mm-hmm. along. So, so what would you say that chain is for someone who's, who's looking to play and you know, maybe not GPP? Let's, let's, let's think about some of the more cash head-to-head stuff. Yeah, I actually wrote an article for free about this that people can read if they want outlined exactly what games I think they should play. I think, you know, the biggest thing you can do if you want to play cash at first is single entry, large field, double ups. You know, the multi-entry ones are going to get flooded with good people putting 150 lineups in and raise the cash line that way. Uh, so you want to play single entry, double ups for the ones with as big a field as possible. And then, you know, there's strategy for for when to post your head-to-heads. You know, I like to post them and let other people pick them up because the people posting are the most confident players. You know, we'll play anybody. We'll post and play anybody. And so those people are going to be good. They're not going to miss anything. They're adjusting. You know, I have one lineup that I'm adjusting across hundreds uh, of games. So, uh, yeah, I'm super hyper-focused on that. I'm not going to make any, like, egregious mistakes. So if you post games at low stakes uh you know i think sunday morning try to catch some people hungover making lineups on their phone (laughs) and stuff like that you know um i don't feel bad about trying to catch people like that because uh part of this is just trying to outwork people so so yeah you know posting head-to-heads on sunday mornings single entry double ups and then some of the multiplier stuff i think you can mix in and be fine too triple ups um and some quadruple ups and stuff like that i think you can find some good games into and and all this at lower stakes you know like you're better off playing $51 games than one $50 game. How much of a time commitment is this to, to like pick off the contest, uh, pick off the, the head to heads that you want, things like that. I mean, it sounds, it, it sounds like a lot, but I can't tell maybe there is a way to, to um, streamline the process. Yeah. Uh, DraftKings makes it easier than, than other sites. Like you can just like uh, filter exactly what you want to play and then hit plus one, add to all. And you can add your lineup to all of the contests that fit those filters um but yeah you know it's not a ton of work once you get the hang of it you know maybe i spend an hour two hours a week on on registering for games all right so let's let's go back to something you mentioned earlier about kind of knowing what matters or not i know you had josh hermsmeyer who was also a contributor there at establish the run he's a stats guy 538 now he's gone He's complete like nihilism, football nihilism. <laughs> nothing, it, nothing matters basically. There was a huge, you know, kerfuffle where, it, um, you know, I think he's purposefully like pushing it a little bit with the defense doesn't matter, things like that. Mm-hmm. So from your perspective, like how, how where, where would you say you fall into line as far as uh, uh, you know, totally of a of a numbers. Um, type of mentality maybe you know do you think someone like Hermsmeyer is going too far versus going over the uh, on the other end and buying into a lot of different narratives that are happening that week yes yeah I think football is actually unique in that a lot of these soft analysis is actually good in NFL if people know what they're doing like I think Evan has like a unique ability to like watch games and to watch the way players are used and to take in news and to actually 
talk about what's going to happen the following week. And um, yeah, I, I think that's actually viable in the NFL. I know Josh has proved a lot of stuff about um, proved out a lot of stuff about it being very hard to project how a defense is going to play in a singular week at the end of the year. There's going to be a defense that leads the league in yards per play against, you know, that's just like, it, it's going to happen. And so if you can be ahead of that and predict that, um, I think there's people who, who can do that. I think Josh's point is that like trying to say in week three that we know for sure that this Ravens defense is going to be smothering is just, um, impossible to say. Uh, and I, and I get that perspective too. So, so yeah, I think that there's so much stuff that's overrated based on small sample, based on all kinds of things, based on just like random variants in football. I mean, God, one inch is like a touchdown from a pick six and all this, like, you know, it's just so hard uh, to pin it down in football. So I, I, I mean, I don't get into tape. I don't even get into like a lot of nihilism stuff. I really just think like, if you can nail down opportunity and what opportunity is worth what, and what's actual good opportunity, what's quality opportunity, you're just so far ahead of the game. If you can just nail that down. Okay, so how much of that is something that you try to quantify in the form of a projection versus, uh, I mean, it wouldn't be range of outcomes, but you're kind of just like thinking about it as a as a pie more of an, on a mental basis than than a straight projection. Because, I mean, there are certain players you're going to project. I'm trying to think of, I've been doing projections this year. And someone like, let's say, Tyreek Hill, you have so many different options on that team that when you try to project certain guys, it's like hard to get them, the opportunity mm-hmm. that, that you want, versus, you know, maybe Todd Gurley where... If you're projecting, there's everything's going to fall to them, but then that's not necessarily how you're really going to view them and how you'd really want to play them. Yeah, I mean, so we spend most of our week. I mean, we have projections up for week one, and we and we spend most of our week like we're literally talking about like should Miles Sanders have a target share of nine point two percent, or should we give point eight of that to Corey Clement? And like when you're doing projections, that's just like. um makes a huge difference, you know, because like guys are going to look like good plays. It's, it's narrow and guys are going to look like good plays with just a little bit of extra target share. And so, you know, it's, it's understanding the news and understanding projections from there. Like, do we believe Doug Peterson that he says Miles Sanders might need to be eased in, you know, like, so there's soft skills with that too. And I hate when people call projections data because what we're literally doing is putting inputs in there for market shares that are, are soft skills. Like again, do we know uh, if Mike Evans plays, is he going to get a full complement of snaps? How, what do you think his target share will be compared to his baseline? Um, and all that stuff is soft skills, and I would not consider projections a data point ever. Do you work in both directions with projections, meaning, you know, you you divide it up, you, you do the projection. Do you ever look at the results and be like, okay, I got to <laughs> go back now and figure out what I did wrong on that on that projection? Because, I mean, it can get a little bit dangerous, right? Because then you're then you're just projecting for an outcome as opposed to trying yeah. to go through some sort of process. So how do you think about that? Because that's something, again, that I, that I deal with and I'm kind of struggling with. Yeah, I, I think in NFL specifically, like sanity checks are going to be important. If somebody, you know, like we had a mistake earlier, like something wasn't scaling right and DJ Chark was projecting as like one of the best plays of the week and I just went into it I was like there's no way this is right we went back we found the error and like yeah uh, you know that was an error case I think there's cases where you think all your stuff is right um and it still looks weird um maybe you need to re reassess your process because I think people have uh, a pretty good um sense of what's right and what's wrong in NFL you know if, if guys are pop coming through that are just out seem unfathomable yeah we should go back and check our process I think Okay, yeah, that's that's one part of it when it comes to like okay, you mentioned that Evan and you think is really good at processing processing this information and you know how much of it is just the fact that you guys have had these reps, right? So it's not it's not just you know like like we talk about 
having a lot of data to to make a prediction on. But then again, you have these mental reps like a Madden player or something like that. Do you think that's the way to that? That's an effective yeah. way, essentially, of what you guys are doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've been doing this for 10 years, and I think it makes a big difference when evaluating what's coach speak and what's not. You know, what what matters on the injury report, what happens when a player sits out on Fridays, what coaches deal with players who miss practice, all that stuff, I think, is soft skills that go into a projection. And again, like, that's why projections are not data to me. It's like you, you really um, need to understand all that stuff. And I think, yeah, for sure, having experience, it makes a big difference. Okay, so there have been... I guess it's like I said, it's mostly other sports that they're, but there's there's definitely still a focus on using more numbers and using more analytics. I think it catches eyeballs. I mean, obviously, some of the work that I've been doing in fantasy, fantasy football. Do you think people are skewing too far in that direction at this point? It's hard for me to say. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people out there that are doing good work with numbers that's extremely valuable for the real NFL. And probably valuable for dynasty, trying to figure out how good players are, and maybe for season long, where talent can shine through more and how good players are matters more. I think for DFS, I think people are probably have a pretty good case of FPS uh, a lot, fancy play syndrome. Um, I don't know, man. I don't think it's gone too far, man. I know like everybody hits the NBA now, right? Because guys are passing up like open layups for open threes, and, and I, I get that. Um, but I do think that it's very like you don't need to be some math expert to understand why the NBA is going that way. And so, um, yeah, I think that it's it's probably right. A lot of the baseball stuff, I know people hate like all the analytics involved in baseball and, you know, nobody bunts and they're using 10 different pitchers in one inning and stuff like that. Yeah, it sucks to watch, but it's probably right. So I don't know, man. I don't know if there's an answer. All right. Well, let's let's think about, you know, what to consider what to not in, in the frame of early season DFS. Um, obviously, this season's been a little bit strange. Um, like I mentioned earlier, we didn't have the preseason. We don't really know uh, a lot of these injuries and other things. Would you suspect, I guess just from a macro view, do you, do you come into it and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to suspect people are going to be overreacting to news that's going on, underreacting, or are you just going to say, you know what, I'm going to look at each situation individually and not really think about where the market may be? Yeah, for sure, each individual situation. But man, I mean, we know so much less now and, and people are for sure overconfident in their takes. They're like, I know that Jonathan Taylor is going to play ahead of Marlon Max Sunday. I know it. And like, you, you, you don't. I mean, like more than ever, like you don't. And so we're going to know a lot more. Like I was just looking at who's the Bengals number three wide receiver. Like it wouldn't surprise me if it was John Ross. It wouldn't surprise me if it was T Higgins. It wouldn't surprise me if it was Auden Tate. It wouldn't surprise me if it was Mike Thomas. Like it could be any of those guys. And so, like, to be overconfident and say you know for sure that it's one, the difference is that, like, after week one, we'll know so much more. Like, let's say John Ross goes out and plays 100% of the snaps on Sunday. Well, in week two, he's going to be massively owned. They're, the cat's out of the bag. So I would encourage people, like, if you have a contrarian take, if you have a take you think is right, if you think John Ross can play 100% of the snaps on Sunday, like, do not second-guess yourself. Like, people uh, are way overconfident in their takes. Now, do you think there's ever a window, though, where you're you're under confidence, you're not confident enough after you've seen something that happened week one? I mean, this is very anecdotal here. But I mean, it seems like to me that every year, well, not every year, but a lot of years, there are a couple of guys who just end up, you know, just massive smashing the first week or the first couple of weeks. And then 
you know, I guess we remember it more often when they keep going. Do you think we just remember it more often when they keep going? Or do you think there is something where you can catch a little window there of them being under-owned the next few weeks? Um, yeah, you know, I think the market Specifically got, a running back, I guess, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, people are looking so much at opportunity and usage now rather than box scores. So, you know, if, say, Zach Moss goes for three touchdowns, but he only played... 25% of the snaps and only handled 30% of the running back carries, he won't even be owned that much in week two, you know? And so I think right. people are game log watching less. Whereas in 2015, 2016, if Zach Moss had three touchdowns, but had terrible usage, you better believe that he would be like 70% owned in week two, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's changed from that perspective and people, you know, are, are just smarter. They're looking at, at underlying usage more. And I think that's, that's a big spot where, um, edge has been kind of eroded a bit, I would say. And have you tracked to see f- for your own personal results results early in the season, whether they differ that much from later on in the year? I have access to that data, uh, but I actually haven't looked at it. It's it's, it's a good question. Um, I, I'm not sure. You know, the samples are going to be so small, even though I've been playing since 2015, like September is only four weeks. You know, I have 20 weeks. I don't know. Is that enough to say that September is softer than another one? I don't know. Um, maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah, I just know this. I mean, again, this isn't the more quantitative sort of stuff that people talk about. A lot of the edge being um, squeezed out by the time you get to midseason in different sports, things like that. So I didn't know if there was a similar phenomenon going on with um, with DFS. DraftKings and FanDuel are spending millions as we speak on customers' acquisition, right? And so a lot of these people are going to come in, and yeah, they're softer than the people that will be still playing in Week 9 and Week 10. So from an opposition perspective, for sure, you know, the best games are going to be then. But we also know, you know, way less. We're, we're, we're going to be playing worse than, than we will be in Week 10, 9 and Week 10. And you know the the uniqueness of this offseason, there have been some incidents in the past in different sports. I mean, I guess probably in football it hasn't been for for quite a while, but um, you know, strikes or lockouts, some people have been able to uh, make hay on the fact that they're kind of these structural changes that people don't don't think about. Do you think there's a possibility for anything like that? I've seen some people with some takes that you know there'll be an advantage of offense over defense or or, or something to to the, of that nature. Do you think it's possible something like that'll happen, or are you just willing to wait wait and see and maybe not react until there is something to actually react to? Yeah, good question. I know there's data from the lockout that games were higher scoring coming out of coming out of training camp. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that there can be more communication breakdowns defensively that can lead to big plays. I, that's one narrative I can maybe buy into, but I'd be hesitant to put a lot of money into a narrative like that uh, without some more data to back it up. And I'd have to, I, and it's just hard to, we don't have data on this really at all. Like the lockout, I think is a kind of a weak correlation. Like I would, I would be hesitant to make too many takes about that. Okay, so again, without without the information we're having, you know, rookies have been a big question. I guess another question would be a backfield or a receiving core that's changed year over year. Are you thinking any differently about how you may uh, give uh, a discount to to things that are, to situations that have changed more, or or give a little bit more credence to those who are rolling over year over year? Yeah, I mean, I, I no other sport is talent like as. I don't want to say meaningless, but means less in football. Like if Kevin Durant goes from the Warriors to the Knicks, like he's going to smash on the Knicks. Like there's no question. When Odell Beckham goes from, you know, whatever situation he had in the Giants to the Browns, like there's room for it to be a mess because scheme change, because quarterback change. I mean, you're so reliant on coaching, on scheme, 
on quarterback uh, on all the 11 other guys in the field in NFL. So uh, on 10 other guys in the field. So, so yeah, I, I'm wary of guys changing teams for sure. Like there's a, an ugly history of guys changing teams in the NFL, specifically veterans on, on big free agent deals. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, scheme and, and coaching is so important. So yeah, I think being wary of guys changing teams makes a lot of sense. I've seen some commentary. I think if you've, you've said, Hey, you know, coach a, you can discount everything he says versus coach B. I don't know if you can ever believe anything a coach says, but there's certain coaches. So like, is it, do you ever think, well, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm basing a little bit too much on a couple of situations that have happened in the past. And maybe they are believable. Maybe Bruce Arians isn't a complete you know, fraud when it comes to what's going to happen this year. He was just, he just didn't know what he was saying before because of some sort of enthusiasm or something like that. Right. Yeah, that, that's fair. Um, I guess so. There's just some guys that are just always going to, no matter what the reporter is asking, they're going to say, yeah, this guy's great. He's going to play a ton. Or this guy, you know, I'm, he, this guy's my guy. Um, there's just some coaches like that. They're never going to say a bad word about any of their players. And it's notable when they finally do say a bad word about their players, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's a point well taken though. I, I think, I, I do think Bruce Arians wants Ronald Jones to play well and be the guy. I also think if you ask him about Larry Fournette, he'd say he wants Larry Fournette to play well and get a ton of work also. Like he just wants all his guys to be the man and play well, you know, he's, it's just, that's just how he's going to answer questions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's always interesting to me because um, when it comes to some of these coaches, I can't tell if it's. I mean, it, not that they're doing it on purpose, but whether I guess they just don't care or they're just trying to avoid headlines sometimes. But then they end up actually giving headlines. I mean, if you add it up, like the amount of touches that some coaches think are in a game, it's like it's like two hundred and fifty touches are gonna are gonna end right. up happening in some of these games. So I guess some of them are just trying to uh, avoid that type of. Um, uh, blowback that may end up happening. All right, so here I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with a couple of uh, four questions here. I'm gonna call this. I'm trying to trying to think out. I had I had three last week. I'm gonna go four questions this week. Where uh, this cover four segment where I'm giving you a question. I have in my mind the correct answer, but I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you take a shot at it first. And uh, the first question that I have is for for Evan Silva, your your buddy, our buddy here. Uh, what do you think? Do you have in your mind what was his worst offseason take? If he, do you have a worst offseason take that you can go with for this year? For this year, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just, I would say I probably disagreed with him most on thinking Calvin Ridley is going to be like outrageous this year and like top five fantasy wide receiver. I don't think that we ended up with him there, but. I think Calvin Ridley's had chances to do what Chris Godwin did last year and just hasn't done it specifically when Julio Jones has been on the field. So, yeah, that was one I, I disagreed with on. Um, I know a lot of people probably think the DeAndre Hopkins one. I actually agree on the DeAndre Hopkins one for a lot of the things that, that we talked about. Um, yeah, I also think Rob Gronkowski is going to just be a total disaster from a fantasy perspective, but... <laughs> But yeah, that's a story for another day. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you on Ridley. Yeah, I, I don't get um, this love for guys who haven't like they've had opportunities, right? I mean, not, not that he hasn't done anything, but he's had he's had his opportunity to go and go go. So I think that is probably correct for his his worst take. Although I'm just going to always say anything Josh Allen related just falls into any, any MVP Josh Allen take is 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 obviously his his wrong one. So you know, <laughs> I haven't heard you 
talk as much about this, but um, I know that the there's like a complete overlap if you look at the Venn diagram of uh, poker, DFS, and Bitcoin. So I, I, I need to know. I need to have, have a hot Bitcoin take here. So if you were gonna invest all of your your life savings in something, would it be just the U.S. dollar, gold, or or Bitcoin? Let's say you you couldn't touch it for twenty years down the road. Oh man. See, I, I think that everybody should have like one to 2% of their net worth in Bitcoin. Um, I, if you told me I had to put a hundred percent, it would not be Bitcoin. So it would be down to gold or USD. Um, I don't really know that much about gold. A lot of people have been touting me gold lately. I haven't, I haven't bought any, like people are touting me, like I should buy like actual gold bars and like store them in my attic and stuff like that. Um, apparently, uh, Elon Musk is going to mine it from jupiter or right. something so you, I might, heard about that. you have to watch out for that yeah no i mean I, I i i'm not as into bitcoin as some of the other guys i just think it's like kind of like a standard like asymmetrical bet where like if it goes to zero like that's you know that kind of is what it is there's also still a chance even at its current price like where it could really exponentially uh go so yeah but i, I think once two percent is right i'm sure some people would say say more all right, yeah, I'm I'm just going with the good old uh the good old uh, U.S. dollar there, yeah. but I could see I I could see you going either way. I just think it's the Bitcoin thing is funny to me because I can't separate when when people are talking about it whether it's kind of like talking your book in a way, right? So like once you're in, if you had like twenty percent of your net worth in Bitcoin. You better think it's going to to, to you know twenty thousand dollars, or else what are you what are you doing there? So yeah. Anyway, DFS guys, don't don't uh, d- d- don't put it all on Bitcoin, please. All right. So uh, uh, this next one here is the shower narrative. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of the shower narrative, but I've noticed a couple where I'm trying to think if there's a leak. There's a leak in the in the shower narrative here. Being if. If you have a caller situation, let's say like a Haskins and a Terry McLaurin situation, does it still apply if McLaurin didn't do anything in college, essentially? He wasn't that good in college, right? Yeah, they were sharing. They were showering. You know, they're doing all that stuff. The guy the guy ended up – I mean, he was a third-round pick, but it wasn't like he was touted at all. He didn't come out as a big guy. So does it still apply? Does the shower narrative always apply? Is there a bond that's, that, that's given there even if uh, he didn't make McLaurin a first-round pick when they were in college? Yeah. Uh, of course, once you shower with someone, you have that bond that is unbreakable. And so when you go to the NFL, you have great chemistry with them. And that's why you're seeing Terry McLaurin go start going. He's been going on like the third round of drafts. It's wild. And so, so yes, uh, you know, it wasn't the showers problem that Ohio State didn't use Terry McLaurin correctly. It was, it, it was Ohio State's problem. Yeah, I, I agree there. Although I think that maybe an under an underplayed aspect on here is that, you know, the quarterback still controls all. So we'll we'll see there. And then, so my last question here, um, before we before we wrap up is, you're a noted uh, a germaphobe. Uh, before it was cool. Before mm-hmm. it became uh, the, the worldwide phenomenon. So, I want to know from you if you had to have a choice. Number one. Uh, you live. You have to live in a socially distanced world, uh, personally, for, j- just for you, um, forever. Or if you didn't, you would have to go out, and that every greeting would be, you know, like one of those European kiss hellos on on both cheeks every single time you met someone. If you had to choose between between those two options, I guess your kids or your family, they could still go live their lives. What? But but you would have to be socially distanced. What would you choose? Yeah. 
this this social distance thing has not affected me my life really that, that much at <laughs> I mean, all. You've been preparing your whole life for this. I've yeah, been preparing my whole life for it, this it too. Really, so yeah. I mean, I don't want to offend anyone, but it really hasn't been that bad. I mean, maybe I mean it really hasn't. So uh, so yeah, I don't know, man. I I don't mind the, the kiss on the cheek that much. I guess that's not what's most disgusting to me. Uh, so I'd probably I'd probably choose that. But if it was like something worse, like playing shirtless basketball in like hunting weather <laughs> against other dudes yeah like that that would be out so so yeah so it has to do with like full full a fuller body contact is gonna is gonna be the issue there yeah i mean usually when people are kissing on the cheek they've showered they're okay you know it's 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 yeah uh so that's gonna be all right yeah. all right uh, I, i'm with you on that one well Adam, thanks. Thanks for your time here again. Uh, you should definitely be listening to everything they're doing on the Establish a Run podcast. I'm listening to it all the time. Everything else is going on. I assume you guys are rolling out some big DFS packages. I don't know if you want to if you want to um, pitch anything right now. Yeah, no. If you follow me on Twitter at Adam Levitan and, and you go to establisharun.com, you'll be able to see everything that we have on there. All right. Thanks so much, Adam, and thanks for tuning in.